Well, good morning and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host and you know who I am. My name is William Hill and I do this every week for the seminary where we get the opportunity to sit down and talk with various people across the um, uh, various denominations, as it were, and especially today as we'll be talking with Dr. Cornelis Venema, who is the president of Mid-America Reformed Seminary, and we'll be talking with him about the denomination that he's a part of, uh, the URC in North America, and more about that in just a minute. As I indicated, we do do this podcast every week, and we do this so that you stay informed on what is going on across uh, Reformed and Evangelical circles. Uh, We're not necessarily always dealing with Reformed material, but Often we are, and um, typically we deal with books and that kind of thing. Um, But we do this every week, and you can access this very easily at our website at confessingourhope.com. If you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, the website, as usual, is simply GPTS, that's for Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, dot edu. We are in the process of upgrading our website, and hopefully in the next few weeks, I'm hoping... That will be completed, but it is a work in process. But uh, anyway, just a little programming note for those who really care about those kinds of things. As I indicated, we'll be talking with Dr. Cornelis Venema today about the URC. We're going to be talking about the denomination, where it currently is, what are some of the issues it's dealing with, what are some of its goals and plans for the future, um, those kinds of things. And we tend to do this uh Every year, uh, as, after all the denominations have their various synods and general assemblies or whatever the case may be, and so we do this to sort of keep in touch with what's going on in our brother and sister denominations that exist across the United States. So, Dr. Venema, it's great to have you on. I know we've talked in the past um, about a totally unrelated subject, <laughs> but um, it's good to have you on post-Thanksgiving holidays sort of kind of trying to get back in the swing of things, but um, thank you for taking the time to speak with me about uh, about the URC. I'm happy to do so. Great. Well, why don't we just start with the easy question. Uh, what does the URC stand for? Well, the, the name of the denomination in its complete form is the United Reformed Churches in North America. And um, there was, as is often the case when new denominations form, a series of names that were proposed. I think the uh, the choice of name, there was some opposition to the term United since the denomination encompasses uh, the United States and Canada. And Canada, United, or the United Church, is immediately associated with the rather liberal Presbyterian denomination. But I think it reflected the desire of the founders to pursue not simply the formation of another denomination that's reformed in its confessions for its own sake, but to take the opportunity to see whether there couldn't be further unity forged with other like confessional denominations in North America. One one other thing about the name, there was a very deliberate choice to use churches rather than church, and it may come up in the course of our discussion, but that reflects a certain view and emphasis in terms of the uh, churches in their relationship denominationally, or as many in the URC prefer to speak, as a federation of churches. Well, that's interesting. I I, I guess I've never really considered that, frankly, and I'm sure I've thrown the name United Reformed Churches around in in casual conversation, but why don't you tell us then why, 
why that uh, conscience decision, uh, conscious decision to use churches and not like I'm in the PCA, and so we're the Presbyterian Church in America, but the singular church. Why churches? Well, it actually uh, has a prehistory in the CRC. There was quite a debate when the CRC in the late 19th century took the name that it has today, the Christian Reformed Church, singular in North America. There were those in the CRC at the time and since who uh, they worry a little bit about too strong a view of the connection between the churches, which tends to subordinate the local congregation or church to the larger body, which is the real church, and the local church mm. is merely an expression of the larger church Catholic. Uh, it'll come up, I think, along the way in the course of comments I'll make about the URC, but it has a strong ethos, and some of it is born out of reaction to the real or perceived abuses of the authority of what in the continental tradition are called the broader assemblies of classes in the Senate and the CRC, um, a desire to preserve the integrity and relative uh, autonomy of the local congregation as the, the place where Christ is immediately present by means of his word mm. and spirit and through the officers who oversee the life of the church locally. Interesting. Now, you've mentioned the CRC, and as we move into the, the, how the denomination became, or how did the denomination form? What, what kind of past does it have? And, and, and you know, it, as you're probably aware, there's a chart out there of all the Presbyterian Reformed denominations in America, and it looks like a convoluted disaster of, of it's just impossible to follow. How did this, uh, the URC come to be? Well, the uh, the flowchart of the history and formation of various Reformed churches, as you imply, looks very much like that of what we call the split peas, the yeah. various uh, branches right. of the Presbyterian family of churches. The, uh, the simplest way of putting it is that the URC, the United Reformed Churches, emerged really in the line of Reformed churches having their roots in the Netherlands, and in the 16th century Reformation that was predominantly reform that took place in the Netherlands, there were a series of uh, reform and renewal movements, evangelical revivals, you might say, that were also taking place in other parts of Europe in the 19th century that formed in the Netherlands denominations that wanted to return to a much more uh, explicitly confessional understanding of their identity and a, a sort of recovery of the older form of church government that was set forth in the church order for the Reformed Churches in the Netherlands adopted at the Senate of Dort in 1618-19. And so, in a very simple way, the United Reformed Churches, from one vantage point, are a fellowship of churches that aim to maintain to propagate, to preserve, to uh, uh, represent the best of the confessional and church polity uh, tradition of the Reformation that took place in the Netherlands. And it grows out of, there's a complicated prehistory of the United Reformed Churches, but it's largely within the framework of developments that were taking place within the Christian Reformed Church in North America 
that led some who formed the United Reformed Churches to believe it was necessary for them to separate from the CRC and continue uh, in a new denominational communion, maintaining with greater uh, fidelity, the Lord willing, adherence to the, the three confessions of the Reformed Churches in the Netherlands, and restoring a more uh, reformed order of church polity or government. Okay, and now you indicated that you that, so basically the URC, if I understood you correctly, is really an offshoot, as it were, of the CRC. I think that's an accurate way of describing it. It um, it had its beginnings in a series of protests and. Uh, Concerns expressed by members, whether ministers or office bearers, local congregations, in the CRC in the um, late 60s, but more into the 70s and 80s, 1970s and 80s, where it was judged that the CRC was losing its uh, moorings in terms of its Mm. confessional identity, and that it was taking positions dealing with a number of issues that represented a loss of a high view of Scripture's authority, its inspiration and infallibility as the supreme standard for the Church's faith and practice. Uh, There were, in the judgment of those who formed the United Reformed Churches, uh, a series of decisions that had been taken by broader assemblies within the CRC that, to their mind, represented deformation and a loss of uh, Reformed conviction and that it was becoming necessary in order to preserve and propagate uh, a distinctly biblical and reformed testimony uh, concerning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they couldn't continue indefinitely, even though a number of efforts were made over a series of decades to try to reverse the trends that were emerging within the CRC. Hmm. Who are some of the key the key movers and shakers, as it were, during those that time. Uh, even before I go there, I just want to uh, clarify something for the sake of the listeners. You mentioned this three forms of unity. What are we talking about? Uh, those are the confessional uh, standards that have historically been the confessions of the churches in the Netherlands and on the continent. The uh, Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, sometimes referred to as the Netherlands Confession, and mm. the uh, the Canons of Dort. The Canons of Dort and the Heidelberg Catechism are probably better known than the Belgic Confession in the wider family of Reformed churches, but they're typically referred to in the churches, the CRC and now the URC, as the three forms of unity. They're the confessional standards. They're the equivalent to the Reformed churches of the continent, of the uh, Westminster standards, the three uh, standards that were produced at the Westminster Assembly in the mid, early to mid uh, 18th or 17th century. Yep, sure. And and during this formation, then this this ba- this basic movement away from the CRC for the reasons you've just mentioned, who were some of the key players during that time? Well, before I directly answer that question, I, I do want to make one general observation. The, sure. the, emergency, the emergence of the United Reformed Churches, unlike some uh, formations of new 
denominations, for example, the OPC, you think of the name J. Gresham Machen, mm-hmm. uh, and you may have some very outstanding leaders, although not quite as clearly the case in the formation of the PCA, and that's been true in the, the Reformed Church history. I can name denominations, and I can cite a theologian who, for example, a Protestant Reformed Church, as you think immediately of someone like Herman Huxema. All of that is sure. to say, I don't believe there's anything comparable to that in terms of the early beginnings and formation, the development of the United Reformed Churches. There are a series of persons who have, who may have played a role or exercised some influence, but in some ways it's a happy providence. It means that the denomination does not have, in terms of its identity, any particular loyalty to call him a founding father or a particular theologian who is regarded as virtually canonical in terms of his theological work as someone to whom you have to show undue respect, you might say, and give shape right, to the sure. sort of theological viewpoint of the of the new denomination. Now, having said that, there, there were a number of ministers, uh, not very many, I would say, theological figures or theological professors who played a significant role in those early years. But among the ministers, there was a pastor of a Christian Reformed Church in Linwood, Illinois, by the name of Reverend Ryan Liesma, who actually spearheaded one of the initial uh, gatherings of concerned consistories, which is an equivalent to a session in the uh, Presbyterian tradition, Christian Reformed uh, Consistories in 1986. Uh, he was a, a leading pastor who took sort of the initiative in the early years of raising the question whether things had not gotten so bad in the CRC that it wasn't time to leave. There were other ministers, Reverend Ed Knott, a minister at the time in western Michigan, another minister by the name of Reverend Art Besteman. Both Reverend Knott and Reverend Besteman, I believe, served in the earliest meetings, uh, provisional senate, and then the first senate. Mm-hmm of the United Reformed Church as the president of those respective meetings. There were other figures, Dr. Bob Godfrey, who wasn't so much involved in the earliest period of the URC's formation, but became involved later when a a sort of a second wave of churches left the CRC. Uh, I was involved to some extent. A colleague of mine, Dr. Nelson Klosterman, who for a number mm-hmm. of years at Mid-America Reform Seminary, was very much involved. Um, there are a whole list of other ministers, but I suspect not too many of your listeners will know who they are. Uh, it was really a more broad-based movement, in some ways spearheaded also by a, a layman's organization within the CRC that grew up in this period that was con- called the Concerned Members of the Christian Reformed Church in North America. They sponsored a number of public meetings uh, throughout North America in the U.S. and Canada, calling attention to what they regarded as uh, bad developments that were taking place in the CRC that represented a, a departure from the confessions or an undermining of Scripture's authority and truthfulness. Those all together played a, a role in creating an environment, you might say, or representing the soil out of which the 
URC was to grow. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm especially interested with this. I mean, I, as I indicated before, I'm in the PCA and I'm well aware of our history and how it all became back in 1973. But it's interesting that that, that these concerned members were able to mount, mount enough uh, momentum, as it were, and, and create these opportunities for discussion on these issues Um you don't typically hear of it happening that way. Usually it happens top down um, when these kinds of splits, if you want to call it a split, occur. Um, so that's that's of interest to me, just the fact that there was a number of members that were mindful of the situation and well aware of the issues that were occurring, which is actually quite encouraging to, to know that there's members, <laughs> members out there in the church that are paying attention to what is occurring. Because in, mo- in my experience, most of the time, the average member in a church doesn't really have a, a good grasp of what the issues are at a denominational level. So that is a very interesting um, well, for, aspect. For your listeners' benefit, even though it's a bit of shameless uh, self-promotion, I wrote an essay detailing as best I could. It's hard to do since this history is fairly recent. I wrote an mm-hmm. essay on the beginning, the emergence and uh, establishment of the United Reformed Churches in a festgrift for... Uh, Dr. Godfrey, entitled Always Reformed. It's published by uh, Westminster Seminary in California. But it's the 13th chapter in that collection of essays. And in there, I describe, as I was just saying, how the original decision to form a new denomination and decisions regarding its character, what this denomination believed and aimed to do, arose out of a series of um, alliances that were established in the 80s and in the 90s, 1980s, 1990s, to draw together as wide a representation of churches, office bearers, and members in CRCs throughout North America to see what could be done to reform the denomination, to restore it to its former uh, state as best as is possible, the Lord willing. It was within those meetings, which were really quasi-ecclesiastical. The first of these alliances was something called the Christian Reformed Alliance, which was an alliance of concerned consistories, which began in 1986. That alliance subsequently became, took a, a different name, the uh, Alliance of Christian Reformed Churches. It, it was first called the Consistorial Conference. Hmm, it was hmm. sort of an informal gathering of representatives sure. of local churches who sent minister and elder as their representatives to discuss what can what can be done. It became the Christian Reformed Alliance. Then, as some churches began to secede, or groups would form new churches in various parts of the denomination. They changed the name to the Alliance of Reformed Churches because it was no longer strictly Christian Reformed. You had some who remained in the denomination, others who were outside of the denomination, but they had a uh, long-standing relationship and wanted to work together. It was the Alliance of Reformed Churches that in the early 90s really gave birth, humanly speaking, to the United Reformed Churches when they made a series of decisions declaring that it was their judgment that the time had come 
for that process that was already underway of some leaving the denomination to take the form of uniting together in a new denominational association. Mm. That took place in 1995. There was a provisional Senate meeting, and then the first Senate of the, which is the equivalent in the Presbyterian tradition to what is called the General Assembly, the first general, uh, general Senate took place in 1996. That's the time when the denomination was, you might say, officially, formally established. So you're a pretty young denomination if you only run back to 96. Very young. And as is true of all young denominations, if you study the history of new denominations when they're first formed, I think the OPC is a classic illustration of that, there are some real serious struggles that follow uh, in the aftermath of the decision to form a new denomination. A simple way of mm. saying it is there was general consensus about the need to form the denomination and to separate from the CRC. That does not mean that those who formed the new denomination were all of them agreed as to what kind of denomination are we aiming to establish by God's grace. And you have a struggle, you might say, for identity. And you've had some of that, and it continues, I think, in the United Reformed Churches. Are we simply a denomination that looks to the past and wants to recapture what the CRC was in the mid-20th century when it was, as James Bratt says in his book on Dutch Calvinism, the consolidated community? So a kind of going back and recapturing something that has historically been lost. Uh, I don't think that's what those who founded the URC desired or at the present desire, but that's one possibility. There are others as well. And I, there, the history of, this, of the denomination in its brief existence has been uh, an interesting one, a struggle, as I say, for definition mm. or clarity about who we are, lots of uh, discussion as to the form of church government that would be adopted, and a lot of that has been influenced by uh, experiences in the recent past within the CRC. And just for my own sake, in, clarific in, in understanding, uh, in some sense the PCA is uh, a, a branch off the mainline PCUSA. Um, obviously, we can get into the whole northern southern church discussion, but that's not really relevant. Just just for the sake of the listeners to understand, so you would you would would you then say that the CRC is the main line in which the URC branched off from? Yeah, that would be an accurate way of saying it. The, okay. There are just, two, the, you know, historically there have been two large, larger, reformed churches in North America who are. Uh, closely related, and yet their history has been fraught with a lot of tension. One is the Reformed Church in America, the RCA, from mm -hmm. which the CRC actually emerged in the mid-19th century as a very small secession, because the recent Dutch immigrants at the time who had lived through a secession in the Netherlands were fearful that the RCA was not as reformed as they thought it was when they first joined it. So, those two denominations, the RCA and then the CRC, are the two main sort of parallel branches of 
reform churches stemming from the continent, particularly the Netherlands in North America. The URC, as you put it quite correctly, is a it branches off the line of the CRC. Mm-hmm. It it represents a renewal, and uh, just as the OPC, you might say, is a separation from the Northern Presbyterian Church, which is now the PCUSA, and the PCA is a branch emerging out of the old Southern Church, which joined, obviously, in recent history with the Northern Church to form the PCUSA. The URC is a branch off of the CRC. So a lot of the characteristics, the ethos, you might say, of many of the congregations that emerged out of the CRC is very similar and is largely shaped by the prehistory of these churches in the CRC. Mm. So they carry with them, obviously, a lot of, uh, not necessarily baggage, uh, that's a somewhat negative term, pejorative term, but they carry a lot of the treasured, the inheritances, you might say, of the past, and things that they received in the course of their uh, prehistory in the CRC. Mm. Very interesting. One little illustration is, historically the CRC was distinguished from the RCA by a fairly uniform conviction about uh, the importance of Christian education, even Christian schools at every level for the children of believing parents, you'll find that same pattern and conviction present uh, throughout much of the United Reformed Churches to the, to the present. They'd go hmm. be very strongly committed to and uh, keen to ensure, if it's not by way of what has more recently become a, a significant approach, homeschooling, that the children receive not only in church, but also in the day school, a Christian day school, a Christian education. Hmm. That's very interesting. And it's <laughs> as you were talking, I was just thinking about how similar the histories are, I mean, different reasons, certainly, but um, how this, is, this sort of transpired throughout Reformed history, Presbyterian history um, in the United States. And, and I've already mentioned that convoluted chart and trying to track all the craziness that goes on with it. Well, obviously you have a... Go ahead. I was going to say the simplest way of viewing it is to see it in parallel with what transpired when the OPC was formed earlier in the 20th century and what transpired when the PCA was formed in the 80s, I think it is, in the 20th century. The CRC represents, or the URC rather, represents the same kind of broadly speaking desire to uh, hold fast to the word of truth, to continue in a vital, energetic way in preserving and propagating the biblical and reformed faith of the Mm. historic Reformation. And the denominational group out of which this new denomination, the United Reformed Churches, emerged seemed to have lost its way, was judged to have really abandoned significantly that kind of vital and energetic and call it enthusiastic commitment to the historic confessions of the Reformed churches. Mm. And that was their aim, remains the aim broadly. Very good. Now, if I've done my math correctly, and I'm 
I think I have, but we'll find out. Did you just recently had then your seventeenth general synod? The seventh. Really? Okay. So you see right, the, the 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 assumption you're making perhaps is that synod meets every year. Actually, yep, the church order uh, adopted by the United Reformed Churches stipulates that the general synod meets every three years. Now, in the last four or five years, there has been a realization that that distance or time between meetings creates some problems in terms of continuity and carrying through on decisions previously made. So the last two, there's a meeting next year, or actually, yeah, next year, 2014 in June in California of the General Senate. That's two years after the previous um, Senate. The reason for the two years, the, the Senates have the freedom to meet more frequently, but they're only required, according to the church order, to meet every three years. Mm-hmm. My, my own sense of it is, as the denomination matures, it will find it necessary to go to possibly a, an annual meeting of Senate. But there is a very strong ethos of concern within the United Reformed Churches to resist uh, undue hierarchy or any right. any hint or suggestion of greater authority being granted or ascribed to what we call the broader assemblies is strongly resisted uh, to the point Uh, In my judgment, this is something of an evaluation on my part, Uh, there is a little tendency toward, uh, it's not quite in the strict or technical sense of that term, congregationalist, but it does move a little in that direction. My term that I prefer to use is it tends to be consistorialist. It's Hmm. It's not congregational if you mean by congregationalism, rule by the congregation. Uh, there's another form of classic congregationalism, which is a very loose association of churches, each of which is under the oversight of ministers, elders, and deacons, or ministers and elders. Um, it's something like the latter that is characteristic of the polity in the URC. Um, a somewhat weak and not very robust view of what classes and synods ought to do with a lot of the weight and focus shifting to the local consistory in its oversight of the local congregation. That's changing a little as time goes along. I think some of the realities of what's necessary to working together cooperatively in a connectional church system are compelling the, the URCs to sort of reconsider whether it didn't move too far in a almost congregationalist direction or a consistorialist direction. Would you see it more like, earlier you mentioned the word federation. Would that be an ac- uh, accurate description? In the URC, it's most common to refer to the denomination as a federation, and that reflects okay. the, the sort of church polity that I'm describing. Myself, I have no problem with the term denomination. It's the most common term used in North America. I sometimes uh, facetiously say some denominate themselves a federation, but it's a denomination. (laughs) 
So, uh, <laughs> but it does reflect this this what I what I call the ethos of the URC, a very uh, great worry about uh, undue exercise of authority at the level of classes and senate. It's one of the reasons, one of the big issues before the URC from the beginning has been the question of with what other Reformed churches should we associate and possibly with whom we might even, if God permit, unite. And there's been a fairly strong and long-standing effort to pursue church union with the Canadian Reformed churches, another uh, denomination relatively small in, the, in Canada primarily that stems from the same uh, roots and background in the history of the churches in the Netherlands. But one of the big stumbling blocks in that union effort and it has sort of ground slowly to something of a halt. I'm not sure it's going to happen in the near term because of a variety of problems or obstacles. One of the big big issues has been that in the Canadian Reformed churches, there's a great deal more uniformity of mm. practice in terms of uh, conforming to decisions of classes and senate. And there are many in the URC who are fearful of uniting with the Canadian Reformed Churches if it means, for example, we all have to sing uh, from the same synodically approved songbook and do things far more uniformly from church to church uh, throughout the denomination. There's a, there's a strong spirit of local aut autonomy that exists mm. in the URC, which militates really against... Uh, even the idea of effecting a church union, which would require some synodical decisions to which the churches then would all have to submit, it, it doesn't go that easily in a denomination like the URC. Yeah, it seems to me that as you grow, and we're going to talk about church planning here with limited time we have left, but um, you are involved in church planning, I assume. Absolutely, yes. And it seems that as the church, as the denomination, federation, whatever word, um, it, as it continues to grow, there's going to be almost a necessity, uh, it's going to necessitate a little bit more of that ideology that they're sort of resistant about. Would that be your opinion? That's, that's already happening. The last Senate of the United Reformed Churches made a decision, which is not one that is uniformly well-received, as you might anticipate, made a decision that there be a uh, denomination-wide missions coordinator mm -hmm. uh, appointed by the Senate, <clears throat> and that would be a, a huge move in the direction you're describing. It, at the various, in the Presbyterian tradition, they're Presbyteries, but in this tradition, they're classes. At the various classes, different approaches have been taken, but increasingly what I'm observing is that the classes are establishing um, home missions committees or church planting committees because they're recognizing that unless the resources of the churches are pooled and mm -hmm. there's a more cooperative uh, effort put forth, whether it has to do with the funding of the church plant or the oversight of the work, it's very difficult to do it in a strictly consistorial way. Uh, right. In my opinion, yeah, I mean, it basically means, if you continue strictly through consistories, that only the larger churches can take any initiative in this area. Because exactly. Because if you're a small, struggling congregation, 
you're not likely to have the resources and the wherewithal to oversee a church plant or send a missionary overseas. And as the, as the URC increasingly has missionaries serving, and we do, in a number of countries throughout the world, especially in Central and South America, but in other places as well, and as a number of church plants, and I would say almost all the classes, I believe all the classes of the of the federation denomination have uh, several church plants, and the desire is very great that more church plants be uh, established. They're they're going to have to find a way, a mechanism, a procedure, a committee structure that will allow this to to happen. Of course, guarding, uh, you know, I I hold to the view that uh, such structures, committees, and even classical and denominational uh, officers uh, is necessary, that's, that becomes necessary, but I do have sympathy for uh, the worry about a certain kind of boardism where um, they take on a kind of life of their own and are not responsive to uh, the church's in general, or the uh, the need to be subject to proper ecclesiastical oversight. Sure. So the, the the URC that's one of its challenges is going to have to come to some sort of a resolution. And there again, some of this history or some of the struggle is almost a mirror reflection of the same kind of challenges the CRC had throughout its history when it debated for a long time how best to carry on together as churches the work of world missions and uh, home missions and church planting and so on. So it sounds obviously there's there's obviously road to uh, there's there's work to do. Um, are there any theological issues? I, you're relatively young. Um, I guess my gut would tell me you're young, so the theological issues are probably not as severe as what maybe we're wrestling with in the PCA or maybe even in the OPC or some of the older denominations. Um, I don't, I but, think that's, your observation is generally correct. I'm sorry, I, I didn't let you finish your question. No, no, it's okay, it's fine. Um, the, there are some Matt, issues. Yep. There, there have already been, at the synodical level even, uh, fairly protracted discussions of the issue, for example, of how to read the account of creation in Genesis mm-hmm. 1, 1 and following. Um, and it really arose out of a conversation with a very small denomination that had formed earlier out of the CRC called the Orthodox Christian Reformed Churches. They took mm-hmm. a very strict position on the length of the days in a, in a strict six-day creation understanding and reading of Genesis 1, and they wanted the URC to take a similar position before they would join with the URC. Now, the URC made some decisions about the question, but they actually resisted, the Senate resisted, taking up a position on some of the exegetical questions relating to Genesis 1 that would narrow permissible options more narrowly than our confessions do. So we're in a position on that question that's not that different, though I don't think we have anything like the diversity of viewpoint that you have in the PCA and to a lesser degree in the OPC. But that issue was confronted. They, we've also dealt at the synodical and classical level with questions like whether children 
by virtue of their inclusion within the covenant, on that account should be received at the Lord's table, the question of pedo communion. The only other big issue that's really surfaced, and a study committee was appointed, much like the OPC-PCA, was a decision made regarding the so-called federal vision. Mm-hmm. And, this, and the URC took a, a fairly strong position on that. It was virtually unanimous. I mean, it was without vocal dissent, the decisions that were made a few years back, uh, much like the position officially taken, at least, by the OPC and the PCA. Now, that raises an interesting question for me. Now, this is going to be a very ignorant question because I know what NAPARC stands for, and you're not technically Presbyterian, but are you part of NAPARC? We are. Okay. Have been. And so you took... Very early on. You followed then, you joined with the other denominations that were represented by NAPARC on the federal vision then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It just prompted that question just came out. I mean, when you mentioned federal vision, I started thinking about NAPARC and I'm like, well, what, you know, that's Presbyterian. Uh, You know, do I ask that question? (laughs) Do I ask that question? Because it's going to sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, but I wanted to to know because that I think gives framework for people listening that that you joined the, the URC joined with those other NAPARC denominations that said the federal vision was out of out of accord with the right understanding on justification exactly. and other issues. And I, I think that the URC's membership in NAPARC, the CRC was a member of NAPARC but was put out of NAPARC. Right. But right. the the URC's membership in NAPARC has actually been something of a catalyst for a number of smaller reformed denominations in the continental tradition who have more recently joined NAPARC as well. Mm. And so even though these are, in some cases, fairly small groups of reformed churches, NAPARC, at least in terms of denominational representation, has grown on the reform side. I think that's in part uh, been influenced by the URC's fairly uh, enthusiastic desire to affiliate with and be a member of NAPARC. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. There, there's and, a and strong uh, desire. In, and the name United, sometimes we jokingly say uh, it, it's anything but United, but that the denomination included the term United in its name does reflect an ongoing sense that in the midst of the sadness and regret and the lamentable, lamentable situation that led to the formation of the URC out of the CRC, we must pursue unity to the extent possible with yep. all who confess a like precious faith as Reformed believers and churches. And the formation of yet another Reformed church on the one hand, it may have been necessary under the circumstances, but it's a sad reminder of the sinful divisions that obtain between and among the churches. And we need to do as much as we can, more than we have in the past, to express the unity that we have with all yeah, of that's the very, churches. It's- and I thought that's such an important point because, as you mentioned earlier, we're you know us you know being Presbyterian or Reformed, and you're you know we're known for that. I mean, we're called the split peas, and it's not without warrant. Um, we tend to be very fragmented. We tend to run off and do our own thing, and at the slightest bit of issue, whatever the case may be. And you're right; there are times when it has to happen because of circumstance, and you have really got no other choice. 
But the reality is, and then I appreciate what you said about the, the fact that we need to pursue unity wherever possible. Um, and so that's very encouraging to me because it's one of the things that as a seminary student, third year, and I think about these kinds of things, I, I do see great, great deal of fragmentation. And, and, it, and how do you resolve that? I don't know what the answer is. I'm not going to solve it today. But it's nice to know that there's a denomination that's consciously aware of that reality. And, um, and so that's, it's encouraging to me anyway, maybe to some other else, somebody else listening. But we're almost out of time, but I do want to give you an opportunity, and it's really a good segue into um, the denomination. You're obviously the president of Mid-America Reform Seminary. Is that an official, officially connected seminary with the denomination? We're unofficially connected with the denomination. Our history as a, as a school institution parallels in many ways the history that led to the formation of the United Reformed Churches. But we, but you, are, not, but, we are not a, a, a school of the denomination. Okay, we but have, you would we, you certainly filter a number of guys, though, that come through your school into the URC? Uh, oh, uh, certainly. Historically, as a school, the largest number of our students have been United Reformed. That's Great. changing a little bit. We've been in, getting increasing numbers of Presbyterian students, especially from the OPC, so that today, surprising to some people, uh, we have about as many Presbyterian students as we do uh, Reformed, who are predominantly United Reformed. Uh, we have very, very close relationships, many ministers. I don't know the exact number, 50, 60, at least, of our graduates, alumni, are serving in the United Reformed Churches. So we have, and within our board, I would say the majority are members of the United Reformed Churches, and certainly our supporting constituency is predominantly United Reformed. So we have we have a lot of very close and significant ties historically with the United Reformed Churches. So I, I bristle a little bit as the president of Mid-America when we're too quickly and uh, somewhat pejoratively designated an independent seminary, so we had no... Uh, special relationship, you might say, with the United Reformed Churches. Uh, we have a very close relationship, but we're not officially a seminary of the denomination. Yeah, I, and I mean, I immediately assumed, obviously by virtue of the question, that you were officially connected, which I think says something about the, you know, the makeup of the school. Um, the board of trusted the board and the professors. I've I've spoken with at least one of your. Um, faculty members in recent in, in days gone by in another podcast, which we won't mention. Um, everybody who listens to this all the time knows which one I'm talking about. But anyway, I, I talked with Dr. Uh, Dr. Beach on his book on, on Calvin's Institutes. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and, and so it, the schools had a tremendous impact even on us Presbyterian guys. <laughs> so it, it's been very helpful. And as we talked off air, a good a friend of mine who is now a student there and, um, who was originally here but now is there. Um, so it, it's just good to see that cooperative aspect and reaching across denominational lines in, in, in the scholastic area, the theological area. How is the seminary doing? If you had to give a, a state of the seminary <laughs> kind well, of a I believe report. we're doing, doing very well. The last good. couple of years we've had, uh, for us, some of the largest incoming classes. We have somewhere in the 30s full-time students. Um, we, 30-some, 35, thereabouts, this year's first-year class, there were 12 students. Last year, I think there were 14. 
we have a growing number of students, not only from Presbyterian churches, but churches throughout the world. Mm. We've developed a fairly interesting relationship with the Reformed churches in New Zealand in recent years. A very oh, small very denomination, good. but quite a number of their ministers, two students presently at the seminary from that denomination. So we're doing, we're doing I believe, well. Um, we have a very loyal and supportive constituency for which we're deeply grateful. Uh, we recognize the challenges. I think one of the great challenges, uh, we're in many ways in the continental tradition as well as Presbyterian. Two of our professors full-time, of our full-time five, are Orthodox Presbyterian church ministers. But we're like Greenville Seminary in this respect, that we resist very much any disassociation or disconnection between what we're doing and the life of the church. Mm. Uh, we want our professors, all of them, to be ordained ministers who are very active in their own respective denominations and who regularly preach, have served churches, and we really do aim in our approach to seminary education, as does Greenville, I believe, to form our students, not only theologically, but also pastorally and spiritually, for the, the high calling of the ministry. Absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And that's one thing that I've always been very encouraged by. Um, at, like Mid-America at Greenville, we all of our faculty are ordained ministers, either um, PCA, OPC. Uh, I think that's it. I'm just quickly scanning through the faculty in my head, but I think that uh, covers it uh, there. And, and, the, and the value of that, it really cannot be overstated um, because you get that pastoral approach, pastoral aspect in Hebrew, Greek, whatever class. And um, I, I just think that's a huge benefit as a student, um, recognizing that you know, we're probably not going to set the world on fire with our incredible intelligence. But as far as pastoral ministry goes, it's being applied in, in all of our classes in, in, in different ways. And so I think that's a really helpful uh, goal and a helpful thing to have for us young seminary students or older seminary students who really don't know much about anything. <laughs> don't know much about anything anyway so um but uh, anyway well dr venom i promised i'd have you off here uh before the bottom of the hour because i know you have other appointments to get to um and uh, as you indicated before we probably wouldn't get through everything we wanted to talk about but i think we covered a lot and 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 i learned a significant amount about the urc that i either was misinformed about or didn't know at all, um, frankly. And uh, so I think this has been a very helpful discussion, and I hope the listeners have, have profited from it. And before I let you run, though, what are some of the ways the broader church can pray for the denomination and maybe even also for the seminary as well? Well, I think a prayer for our unity is an important one. I think mm -hmm. there are always challenges, as we've observed along the way, in terms of the Reformed churches. And the... One of the great needs in the United Reformed Churches is that uh, we come to greater unanimity in terms of wh what are, who are we as a new denomination, that we find ways, and that too is a, a prayer concern, to work uh, using the very rich inheritances that we have and the many resources the Lord has given to us, not to turn in on ourselves, but to share this great gospel with 
the world in which we find ourselves and in the various communities where our churches are located. Pray for a greater unanimity and finding a way to work together in church planting and in the sending of missionaries. Uh, I think that's one of the always perennial needs in the Reformed churches. Uh, sometimes we get turned in on ourselves, and that's mm-hmm. where the trouble starts. I'm not saying that we need to neglect a constant vigilance regarding adherence to the Scriptures and the confessions, but let's not keep to ourselves what we've received. We preserve in order to propagate. Absolutely. Well said. And with that, I will <clears throat> be sure to um, add that information to the website, as well as it, it, I'll find it somewhere. I'm sure it's out there. But this Festrift you mentioned, I'm going to try to dig that up, that resource, and uh, make that available to the listeners as well. So if those listening want more information about the URC, URC you're curious, you want to know more about it, um, that resource should be helpful as well. And, and as I said in, the, in, a, in a recent broadcast that hasn't been released yet, <laughs> by now people listening to this one will have already heard the other one, um, keep in mind that uh, you, this may not be your denomination. You may be in the OPC, the PCA, whatever the case may be, but these are still our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and let's be mindful of praying for our sister denominations. Um, they have unique needs. Some of them are very similar needs to ones we have in the PCA or the OPC or wherever it may be. Um, but let's be praying for these men who are laboring, trying to labor faithfully in whatever circumstance they find themselves in. Well, Dr. Venom, I know you need to run, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time um, post-holiday and all that stuff that goes with it. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to get out of the, I'm trying to get back in the swing of things and I'm finding it difficult. But um, anyway, I appreciate your time and your labor there at the seminary as well as as, as an associate, as associate pastor, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. So you're obviously stay very, very busy, but I do appreciate your time. Well, thank talk you for having today. me. I, I'm glad to, uh, to participate. Yep. Thank you very much. Uh, You've been listening to a discussion with Dr. Cornelis Venema. He is the president of Mid-America Reform Seminary. He is also an associate pastor, so very busy uh, man. About the URC, its history, where it, where it came from, where it currently is, and some of the needs that it is currently experiencing. And so, as I've said before, be mindful of this denomination. Pray for them uh, as you pray for your own denominations. What's coming up on the program? Go to the website. It's the easiest way to figure out. What is going on on the podcast? You probably know more about that than I do. So go to the website. You'll figure it out there. So until next time, we thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And...